0: Hello and welcome to this week's program. I'm Susie Jones. If you have a question for our financial esper, expert, Bruce Helmer, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number is 8886Advice. You can also email any question you might have to yourmoneywealthenhancement.com. And during the next Hour or so here, you can call our studio line at 651 461 9226. Now, here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Bruce, how are you today?
1: Susie, thanks for asking. Um, You know, last week we talked about that I've been fighting this bronchitis, and it's definitely much better. I'm on the uptick, but it's not completely gone. This is a tough little bug I've been fighting. And they told me it would take about two weeks, and I think I'm exactly two weeks into it today. So, again, if I have a little voice uh, issues or a cough, uh, you'll bail me out and we'll get through this thing together. How are you?
0: I'm all right. You know, I'm stumbling through everything here in front of me. Life kind of throws (laughs) things at you from time to time, and you just have to stop and pause and regroup and carry on and that's what we're doing and we do that every day when we wake up we are grateful for what we have and we deal with what's in front of us right
1: well and i you know and i can't wait to see you uh and ha- spend some one-on-one time together and talk a little bit i i heard your very moving story uh this week that i did not know about till i heard you talking about it on on air this week and i'm uh, i'm i'm anxious to chat with you and find out more about that but we uh we don't need to go into that right no, now.
0: No, no, but I'll be fine. I'll be fine.
1: And and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody. This is our last show before uh, uh, Christmas, and uh, so uh, I wanted to get that in under the wire. wish everyone just a safe, happy holiday season. Enjoy time with your loved ones. A lot of us will be with loved ones this year when we were not able to do so last year, so uh, enjoy that time.
0: Exactly. So we're talking about... Hey, I wanted to talk about... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) So
1: uh, going from Christmas and, you know, a a lot of the topics that we've been doing lately during the holiday season about charitable giving or year-end tax planning and all those things are timely. Today's topic is not specific to this time of year. This is a topic that is always important and always part of comprehensive financial planning. I want to talk a little bit today about what we call proper asset allocation and rebalancing. And before you all turn off your radios and think this sounds boring, I promise I can make this interesting and entertaining. Very good. And it's, really, it's really important that, that people understand this and do this right. And frankly, Susie, most people don't. People that are, are try to handle their own finances probably do not do this very well. And again, I don't I'm not I don't want to attack my industry, but even a lot of people in my industry in my opinion don't do this very well. So, no. proper asset allocation is another way to say diversification or diversify. And I think everybody listening right now understands on some level, the importance of diversification, of not, quote, putting all of your eggs in one basket, of having multiple things out there to spread the risk. You don't put all of your money in any one thing. You don't put it in just two things. You put it in a lot of different things. So when we talk about diversification, the first thing we think of is investments, the assets, the things that we put our money in, and we identify five major asset classes in the investment world. Number one, stocks. Number two, bonds. Number three, real estate. Number four, a broad category that we call alternatives that could include things like gold
0: Founder of the Wealth Enhancement Group and a financial advisor is back with us, and we are talking about asset allocations and why it is important to look to take stock in what you have. And Bruce had mentioned stocks and bonds and real estate. And he was at Alternatives talking about gold before his phone line dropped. So we did a little tap dancing, Bruce, and we're back. (laughs) And that's all well and good. And we have you back to talk more about alternative investments. You mentioned gold. So
1: that's the last thing that you heard me say? Yes. Man, I had some brilliant stuff that didn't go out on here. I don't know if I can replicate that or not. Well, you do the best Um, you can. So, yeah, so I mentioned that there's five different asset classes, stocks, bonds, real estate, alternatives, gold and silver, other precious metals, oil and so forth. Then there's cash. And then what I started to talk about that apparently didn't go out on air is that we look at our assets short term, midterm and long term, short term being money that we know we're going to spend or we think we're going to spend in the next six months or year or two years. That money should not be exposed to risk of principal. That money should not be in stocks. But long-term money, if I'm 45 or 50, and I know I'm not going to retire until 60 or later, my my retirement plan, my 401k at work, my IRA, that should be mostly in stocks. And I shouldn't try to guess what the stock market's going to do in the short time, because nobody can do that successfully anyway. So we know that if we hold stocks for the long term, they historically have rewarded investors. But in the short term, there can be uh, retractions in the market. And that's why if you're going to need your money sometime soon, you don't want to have the risk of the stock market. And I always hearken back, Susie, everybody listening today remembers 2008. Mm -hmm. um, In October of of 07, the the, the Dow was trading at about 14,000 and some change. Mm By March of 2009, 18 months, a year and a half later, it was 6,500 and some change, and it was down 60%. And people were terrified, and Mm -hmm. I understand it, and I don't trivialize that. But look at where the Dow is today it's over 35,000. So if you hung in there, if you didn't panic and sell, and you held on to your stocks long term, you still had a very good rate of return, even though you had that 60% retraction mostly in 2008. So with this idea of short-term, mid-term, and long-term money, we've always got a good place to go get money when we need it. And particularly at retirement, with what we call retirement income planning, every year we look at our, our options to where we can draw income from, and we say what's going to be the best this year based on investment performance and based on tax consequences. Sometimes I'm better off taking a withdrawal from a traditional IRA where it's fully and immediately taxable. Sometimes I'm better off taking it from a Roth IRA with no taxes. Sometimes I'm better off taking it from my non-retirement plan where I pay taxes every year. And that's another form of diversification. When we talk about diversification, yes, we diversify by asset class, but we also want to diversify from a tax standpoint. Some of our money is fully and immediately taxable, some of it's tax deferred, and some of it maybe we avoid taxes altogether. We want to try to have, if we can, a little bit of all three of those. So when we talk diversification, number one is asset allocation. Number two, from a tax standpoint, but we also want to diversify from a risk standpoint. So there's different types of risk that we look at, and I'm not going to in the, in the time that we have on a radio show, I'm not going to go into all the different types of risk. But the biggest one, Susie, and listeners, is something called company risk. Let me at least quickly explain that one. So if I if I'm going to diversify and I'm going to put money in stocks and in bonds because they have this converse relationship with each other, when stocks tend to do well, bonds tend not to, and when bonds tend to do well, then stocks tend not to, So I'm going to have both because I don't know which one's going to do well when. I'm going to hedge my bet. I'm going to have money in both. And I buy stocks and bonds in the same company, thinking I'm diversifying by stocks and bonds. But if that company fails, I lose my money in stocks and in bonds. So what we want to try to do is companies that we own stocks in, we don't want to own their bonds, and companies that we own bonds in, We don't want to own their stocks. That's called company risk. So, again, that's the type of thing that an individual person probably can't do on their own. That's pretty complicated and sophisticated to be able to diversify, you know, like that. So, again, proper asset allocation, short uh, diversifying by a lot of different asset classes, um, not having all of your eggs in one basket, diversifying also by tax, diversifying by risk. And remember, and I've said this on the show before, but this also bears repeating, the goal of an investment portfolio, contrary to a lot of thinking, is not to get the highest rate of return possible. Our goal is to get the rate of return for our client that they need to achieve their goals and objectives, their dreams, to have the retirement they want, the lifestyle they want, and not run out of money. And to get that rate of return with the least amount of risk possible. And I've talked about it a lot on this show. I There's been times that I've been bullish on the market that I've talked a client into divesting out of stocks. And that seems like a contradiction, but it's not, because I can be bullish on the market but still look at my client and say, you don't need to take this risk to get a higher return to be successful. You're already successful. The best thing you can do now is pr- preserve what you've made. You don't need more growth. Let's reduce that risk. Let's take those winnings off the table and put them in something safer. So what you look at in terms of how much of these five asset classes one should have, it's a combination of their specific situation, which is the top priority. What are their goals and objectives based on their core values? What's their needed or desired rate of return? How do we get it with the least amount of risk possible? Then we also look at global global economic uh, situations. What asset classes do we think are undervalued right now? What do we think are overvalued? And that might enter into our thinking in terms of how we diversify. Now, the other thing I promised, and I'm keeping an eye on the clock here, and I know we lost some time when the call dropped, but I also promised to talk about rebalancing. So we get what we think is an efficient asset allocation the proper diversity, and then we don't just stand pat. We proactively manage that portfolio and watch it and make adaptations as needed. And there's a lot of reasons, Susie, that we would make these adaptations. But one really simple concept, simple in principle, but harder to to carry out in the real world, is this concept that we call rebalancing. Now, let me give you an example. I'm taking this right from my book, Real Wealth. Um, this is slightly oversimplified. I take some liberties to make the example easy to follow, but this is absolutely true. I'm not, you know, I'm not misleading my reader or misleading the listening audience right now. This is just an example of rebalancing to help people understand it. Let's say that my proper asset allocation, and it never would be in the real world. This is too easy, but let's say it's fifty-fifty, and I've got twenty thousand dollars. And by fifty fifty, I mean I'm going to put ten thousand in A and ten thousand in B. And the first year, A loses half of its value, and B doubles. So after one year, I have five thousand in A and twenty thousand in B. Now, the natural instinct of a lot of investors might be to say, "Gosh, A stinks, B's doing great. I'm going to put all my money in B so they 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 sell that five thousand that they have in investment A. They put it into B, so now they've got a total of, of 25000 in B. But in the second year, the exact opposite happens, and A doubles, and B loses half of its value, but now I don't have any money in A. It's all in B, and I lost half of my value, so I'm down to 12500 from the original investment of 20000 Or a lot of people just buy and hold, and they never make any changes. So again... I start with ten thousand in A and ten thousand in B. The first year a loses half of its value. B doubles. Now I have five thousand in a, twenty thousand in B, and in the second year, the exact opposite happens. B loses half of its value. A doubles now I have ten thousand in both and I 'm sitting at twenty thousand i haven 't made any money i 'm flat. <clears throat> but if I rebalance. If at the end of the first year I'm sitting with five thousand in A and twenty thousand in B, and I go, "Uh-oh, I wanted to be fifty-fifty, half in A and half in B," to get back to fifty-fifty, I have to take seventy-five hundred dollars out of B and put it in the A, so I have twelve thousand five hundred in both. The second year, A doubles in value to twenty-five thousand, B loses half of its value to sixty-two fifty. But at the end of two years, I'm up to thirty-one two fifty. Now I know that's a lot of numbers to try to follow on the radio show, but the point is rebalancing basically assures that we're buying low and selling high. If something has gone up in value, so that's more weight in our portfolio, we sell it. It doesn't mean it won't go higher after we sell it, but we're no we're selling it for more than we bought it for. And we take those proceeds and we go buy something that either went down in value or didn't do as well. So buy low and sell high is what everybody knows they want to do. But in the real world, it's harder to do. And I know we're coming up against the, the end of our first half.
0: Very good. Bruce Helmer, the founder of the Wealth Enhancement Group, also financial advisor with Wealth Enhancement. You can call us at 651 9226. If you have a question for Bruce right now, if you have a question at a later time, one eight 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 six. advice. It is your money. You can also email at your money at if you have a question. We'll answer your questions after this short break. And welcome back. If you have a question, for Bruce, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is 1 8886 advice. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. You can also text our studio line or call right now and jump on the phone and ask your question directly. Wealth Enhancement Group's founder and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Once again, Bruce, we were talking about asset reallocation and taking stock of what we have and making sure everything's situated is there anything that you wanted to wrap up before we start taking some text questions and calls
1: yeah just really quickly thank you Susie. so yeah um and i hope we get calls and they don't have to be just on today's topic They can be any financial question uh i'll do my best but on today's topic proper asset allocation or diversification and rebalancing i don't I don't need to go through the whole show again, even though I, my, my call dropped off. But the, the, the main takeaways are to diversify makes sense. I think sometimes people say that they know that diversification is a good thing or they understand it, but they forget along the way. And what I mean by that, I've had times before where good clients, um, good relationship, that come in for an annual review meeting and we talk about performance of the previous year it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens on occasion, and they and they express disappointment in their performance. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Our 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 overall goal was let's say six percent, and we made nine. Why would you be disappointed? And they might say, well, the S P 500 made twelve. And, and 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 I have to remind them, not all of your money is in domestic large cap stocks. We have small cap. We have global exposure. We have bonds, we have alternatives, precious metals and real estate. We have diversified to try to get the rate of return that will give you success with the least amount of risk possible. Our goal was not to try to match or beat the S&P 500. If you want that to be the goal, I think I can do that, but that's not what we agreed to do. And, they, and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, you're, okay, you're right, you're right. So sometimes they want to compare – their diversified portfolio with the asset class that did really well the previous year and go, why didn't I do that well? Well, there's going to be years where domestic large cap stocks do really poorly, and you're going to be glad you have some of those other asset classes that do better. That's the key of proper asset allocation or diversifying. It doesn't necessarily enhance returns, although it might. It reduces your risk to get the rate of return that you want or need with the least amount of risk possible. And I'll, I'll close with this before we go to calls. I used to tell this story on air all the time. It's been a long time since I've told it now, but I I emphasize the point with the simple story of the resort owner and the umbrella salesman. There's a, there's a, there's a resort owner whose business is very dependent upon the weather. She, she has great, she books out, She sells out all summer long, summers where it's sunny and warm and good weather, but if it's rainy, nobody comes to her resort, and she doesn't make any money, but there's enough sunny days that, you know, she does okay. Well, she meets and falls in love with a dashing umbrella salesman whose business is the exact opposite. His does really well when it's rainy, not so well when it's sunny, but they fall in love, and they marry, and they merge their businesses and now the return is steady every year, and they've taken a lot of risk out of their out of their business returns. That's obviously a gross oversimplification, but that point is absolutely true. You diversify your portfolio, you reduce your risk, and you can still achieve the rate of returns that you want or need that will lead you to a successful happy financial uh, retirement. So um, we talk about this a lot, but we can never talk about it too much. And if, if this all sounds like something like it'd be hard for you to do alone, how, how do I know how to get into all five asset classes and when or how? I mean, it's it, frankly, it's not something people should try to do alone. I know a lot of you do, and I know a lot of you will continue to do so regardless of what I say. But again, there's a lot of statistical data out there that verifies that people that seek and get professional help with this stuff net of cost will do better than those that try to do it alone. So I guess that's my key takeaway, Susie.
0: All right, 651-461-9226 if you want to participate either on the phone or on our text line, 651-461-9226. And we have a couple of texters with questions and one uh, that was an email question. I love your Sunday morning program and I have a question. I'm almost 70. I have 40% of my retirement funds in bonds or cash, and the other 60 in stocks, some mutual funds, some individual stocks. I am currently earning, year to date, 18% of my total retirement account. Woo, that's good. Knowledge that the S&P is earning about 25% in 2021. Should I be happy? You just mentioned this. Um but that's a good 18%. You don't want to snub your nose at that, right? I mean, talk about, he says, um, or she, I should say, should I be happy with my current rate of return since I feel my 40% isn't in a safe place? And that's from Dean. Yeah, so- I'm sorry, it is a man. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So thank you, Susie. Um, I saw that question during the week, and I'm glad you brought it up today because I did want to talk about that. We did give Dean a little bit of a direct response, but I can go a lot deeper for Dean and and other listeners. Um, So what Dean has is basically what we would call a 60-40 portfolio. 60% of his investments are stock-related. 40% are bonds and other asset classes. And again, without knowing specifically Dean's exact circumstances, I would say that 60-40 for somebody approaching 70 is probably an appropriate asset allocation in terms of how much stock they should have. I would certainly... Hope that somebody approaching 70 does not have 100% in stocks, nor should they have 0% in stocks. So 60-40, 50-50, 70-30, something like that is probably completely appropriate. So number one, I commend Dean for having what I think is probably the right asset allocation for him. In terms of performance, I would say to have a 60-40 portfolio make 18% year-to-date, is extraordinarily good. It is not going to do that well most years. In fact, if we were trying to forecast or project what a 60-40 portfolio would do over the long term, we would probably assume somewhere in the range of 5 to 7%. We certainly would not assume 18 But that's the other thing is that you can't measure success or lack of success in your portfolio based on a short period of time or a given year. Because for the 18 that Dean is getting this year, there's a year out there somewhere where it's going to be a negative number that's going to bring that average down closer to that 5% to 7% that we might expect. So I don't think Dean should be upset that he's not getting the 25% that some more in, uh, aggressive investors are getting if they're all in the S&P 500. And by the way, you should not be all in just one asset class. I know there's people listening right now that say, well, I index. I I buy the S&P 500, and that's where all of my long-term investment goes. Certainly, some of your money should be in domestic large cap, which is what the S&P 500 and the Dow are. But again, as we talked about in the first half of the show, your stock exposure should also include smaller companies. There should be some global Companies in there should not, in my opinion, be only domestic stocks. There's there's times that some of these other asset classes don't mirror what the U.S. stock market is doing. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But again, every different uh, piece of diversification that we can put into our investment pie reduces the risk. Again, doesn't necessarily enhance the return, but reduces the risk with the goal getting the rate of return that we need to achieve our goals and objectives, have success, however we define or measure it, and to get it with the least amount of risk possible. So, Dean and other listeners that might be in a 60-40, probably appropriate for your circumstances. The 18% is awesome. I don't think you need to change anything. You may want to rebalance since stocks, obviously, in 2021, did a lot better than other asset classes. That may have thrown your sixty forty into a sixty five thirty five, maybe. Um, so you may want to take some winnings off the table and say, I'm gonna sell some stocks and put it in other asset classes to get back to my sixty forty, the rebalancing that we talked about before we went to break. But basically speaking, Dean, I think you're in great shape and I think you know what you're doing. And I wouldn't sweat the return that you lost by hedging your bet and reducing your risk. I would I would take my eighteen percent and and, uh, and sleep well at night.
0: All right, we have another texter who writes to us asking Bruce, "What do you suggest to get a thirty-year-old started in investing? How would you? What advice or what direction would you give a thirty-year-old kind of just starting out?"
1: Yeah, Susie, thank you. That and, and that's that's tough because a thirty-year-old probably or certainly possibly is still struggling you know day to day to make ends meet. They're, you know a lot of 30 year olds um, just have enough income to pay their rent or, their, or pay their mortgage and pay, make their car payment and buy food and you know gosh, 30 year olds might want to go out and have a beer once in a while and have some sort of social life or see a movie. So there's probably not a lot of discretionary income. That said, I believe that most people can find investable income for their future without having to sacrifice too much for today. Because again, I never want it to be a choice over lifestyle or fun for today or or investing for the future and not having any fun today. I think you can do both if you plan uh, properly. So Susie and listeners, anyone that ever tells me, gosh, I know I should save and invest, but I just don't have any excess capital. Sometimes that's true, but oftentimes it's not. So when I dig in and look at a situation, I might find inefficiencies where maybe they're paying more in taxes than they would really have to if we did some tax planning. Or maybe their debt is not efficient and we can do some debt restructuring or consolidation. So they have the same amount of debt but less money going to it, and that frees up some capital for savings or investment. Or oftentimes, maybe they're paying more than they need to for various insurances, their property and casualty insurance, life insurance, and so on. So the first thing we do is look and see if we can find some capital just by uh, improving some inefficiencies. Whether we're able to do that or not, in terms of prioritization for a 30-year-old, I think the first thing they should try to do is participate in their company retirement plan. 401k is the most prevalent, but participate in your company plan at least to the extent that you get the matching contribution if there is one. To not do so is to leave money on the table, and it's almost like telling your company, no, don't give me my full salary, I don't want it all. Of course you want it all. The other beauty of the 401k is it for, for, for someone that lacks discipline, and let's be honest, we all do to some degree, and for a 30-year-old to think about retirement when they're 30 seems like, you know, 100 years away, and it's not at the top of their mind. But with the 401k, the contribution is just withheld from your paycheck. You literally don't have to do anything. It happens for you automatically. I've said many times, many of us, if we had to physically write out a check every two weeks from the amount that goes into the 401k automatically, a lot of times we wouldn't do it. We would forget or we'd spend that money on something else and we wouldn't do it. So the 401k is kind of an automatic savings plan where you don't miss the money. You live on the net paycheck that you get and you put in at least enough to get the full matching that you can from your corporation. Whether that's regular 401k or traditional 401k or Roth 401k, if you have that option, that's a trickier question. But it's more important to participate in either one or both, and it's less important to determine which one is best for me. Just doing something is better than doing nothing. So for most 30-year-olds, Susie, I would say that's number one, participate in your company retirement plan. And then number two, if you find you still have discretionary income that where you could save and invest even more, I would say number two for most 30-year-olds would be Roth IRA. Now, again, they don't get a deduction for the contribution, so it doesn't reduce their taxes in the current tax year. But if they if they allow that to accumulate until they're 59 and a half before they take withdrawals, they pay no taxes on the, all the gains that they had over all those years. And if they do need money, if they're desperate and they really need money for something, before the age of 59 and a half, they can take a withdrawal of their contributions or the money they put into it. They don't have any detrimental impact unless they actually take gains. So Roth as a strategy, as a tool is a tremendous vehicle. If you're eligible and it's even more powerful for you, the younger you are and the more years of tax-free accumulation that you can achieve. So number one, Company retirement plan to get the matching contribution. Number two, Roth IRA. And Susie, if all 30-year-olds just did those two things, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them would retire with a very successful financial retirement.
0: <laughs> That's great. Okay, I'm curious about this too, but this texter writes, um, David is call- is texting from Eden Prairie. I'm curious to know your opinion about using cryptocurrency as an alternative investment in an investment portfolio that cryptocurrency yep, so we've seen commercials about it are we missing the boat what is it is it gonna go away
1: yeah so it's a great question and the first thing I should say is I don't profess to be an expert on crypto by any stretch of the imagination I've read I've, you know, a lot of different things and the answer has changed slightly at least mine has over time so number one and it has come up on the show before I think crypto future very likely is the currency of the future. Uh, I'm sorry, cryptocurrency is likely the the, the monetary system of the future. Um, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next week. And it might not be something, Susie, that you and I see, but our kids probably will. And our grandkids certainly will. Money today, paper money, coins. Money is money because we say it's money. Money can be whatever society deems to be money. Before there was money, there was a barter system where I'll trade you my goat for, you know, five pounds of your wheat or or whatever. Money became money originally because it was backed by gold, but it hasn't been backed by gold since 1972. Money is money because because the government or society says it is. And we can say it's anything, including cryptocurrency. And that's very likely going to happen over time. Now... In terms of investing in it, it's still a very risky investment because not that crypto is going to go away, but we don't know which cryptocurrency is the currency, will be the, the, uh, the currency that's used in the future. The first one that kind of came out that gained popularity was Bitcoin. And a lot of people made money on Bitcoin. A lot of people lost money on Bitcoin. The price was very volatile. It was high, and then Elon Musk said, we're not going to accept Bitcoin as as payment anymore and then the price plummeted so it's the analogy i give people is it's kind of like when the car was invented when the car was invented clearly we could see horse and buggies were going to go away and cars were going to be the transportation of the future but which car company was going to have staying power and last at one time there were over 100 car companies most of them didn't make it anybody ever invest in ethyl or drive an ethyl so the same is true of cryptocurrency i don't know and i don't think anybody does what's going to be the currency that we use in the future and the other things to consider part of the reason it's popular right now also is it's not government regulated that's not going to last it will be someday and there's no taxes that's not going to last it's going to be taxable someday so i tell people if you really want to use crypto i wouldn't tell you not to but don't cash in your whole portfolio of stocks and bonds and real estate and put all of your money in crypto. You might go broke. I think crypto should be 1% of your overall investable assets. So if you have $100,000 in investments, maybe a $1,000 in some sort of cryptocurrency is appropriate. And so I'm not against it completely, but it's still very risky, and it should be a small part of your portfolio in my mind But, no, it's not going to go away. I just don't know what it's going to look like in five years or ten years. And, again, nobody does, not just me.
0: All right. We have two minutes left in the show. We have a text question. Can Bruce talk briefly about a custodial account for college savings for a grandchild and any tax implications like custodial accounts because of – the numbers, the investment options. So just custodial accounts for college savings for grandkids.
1: Yeah, really quickly. So again, 529 plans are the most popular um, and probably still the most efficient. In a 529 plan, every state has one. So you could live in the state of Minnesota, buy the state of Virginia's 529 plan, and your grandchild could go to Arizona State. It doesn't matter. And the big advantage there is, is in a 529 If it's used for higher education expenses, you don't have to pay any taxes on the gain. Now, the 529 can be limiting because if you take withdrawals for uh, expenses that don't qualify as higher education expenses, there can be some tax and penalty that defeats the purpose. So a lot of my clients do just set up a custodial account where it's in their name and maybe the grandchild is the beneficiary. And then when the grandchild reaches age of majority, they can transfer But then there's also things that I know we're running out of time to look at in terms of if you fill out your FAFSA form to get financial aid, what count against you and what doesn't. So to the extent you can, keep it out of the kid's name and in grandma and grandpa's name.
0: All right. Very good. Appreciate that. Appreciate everyone for texting in this week. And if you did not get your question answered, there were a couple of more texts that we did not get to. uh, Please feel free to call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is 8886 advice, or you can send your questions as well to yourmoneywealthenhancement.com. Bruce, very happy holiday to you and your family, and blessings to all.
1: Thanks, Susie.